I get Suzanne's and I've got two of them and I'm like, yes, manacles are breaking, chains are falling off. So um, that was the start of our day. But I just feel like it, it's, it's, it's something God is doing. We talked about FISH, the acronym for freedom, identity, being spirit-led, and being part of a heart-focused community. And that's one of the things God is building. It's at the back, and there's extra copies of that if you need it. Fish. <clears throat> Sean, this morning you were talking about being moved by the Spirit and hearing the Spirit and the Spirit of God giving you indications of what's going on. Hey, Jaderson, come on in. And uh, in Romans 8, 14, it says, um, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulse of, his, of the Holy Spirit. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit that's in the passion. And I, I think that's what we're all learning, isn't it? And none of us do, does it completely right all the time, but we're learning to walk in step with the Spirit of God. Uh, Lorraine has a video she's going to pull up for us, but she doesn't. She's shaking her head. No, it's not going to work with the new soundboard. Okay, if, if you do get it, did Gord tell you? If you do get it, just wave at me and I'll, okay. Bless the Lord. So, um, I just feel like I'm going to jump in today. I know um, Bruce did that last week and didn't get give you a chance to share. So I'm like, does um, somebody have something really burning on their heart to share? Because usually we give, we give folks a, a time to just share if there's something. TJ, let's go. Absolutely, they're all good. I, I, I went to the celebration um, at the um, Jan's Parents Memorial, and uh, I took Ellen McDonald. But anyways, that's beside the point. Um, the whole service was about how much these parents loved their family. They absolutely loved their family and they loved the Lord and he this 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 old guy Opa he had eight boxes of slides uh, something like 1700 slides of the great outdoors because he loved God's creation and he had all these slides of his family uh, all these occasions birthdays anniversary la 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 and the kids growing up and and as the service was going on as I often do when I'm at memorials I started crying I just started crying and, 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 and I was looking at this man's face up on the, like the screen and, the, and, the, and Oma and I, my heart started aching for my family. It started aching because we didn't have the Lord and there wasn't a lot of visible love. And I cried and I cried and I cried but what started happening is the chain started broken, breaking right in that moment. And I started having this big understanding like I had never had before. And I saw my parents as children very troubled and wounded. And I started understanding why our family was like that. And I started by the end having gratitude that I no longer had those chains of woundedness, grief, 
addiction, gone. Alcoholism, gone. Promiscuity, gone. Unfaithfulness, gone. Cussing, gone. Well, every once in a while. But, <laughs> but, I, but, but, I, but I repent when I do it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like oops. But, but so all those chains have been broken. And by the time I left, I still have puffy eyes from crying. Um, I was so grateful to have my life and to have the Lord and those chains were broken and when Teresa said are you willing are you going to align your heart with Jesus because if I keep all that poison inside that woundedness the brokenness the regret the sadness the the all that stuff if I don't let it out then I can't fully align with Christ and so to me, it's a, it's a battle. I got to tell you, I'm a troublemaker. Every day I must make decisions several times a day to not be a troublemaker. I got to say, ah, no, step back, get back on the balance beam, align yourself, you know, and, and so the chains are broken today. The chains are broken. Stay here. I'm just going to bless you for a second. So, <laughs> Lord, we just bless what you're doing in TJ, God. We just bless it. We thank you for all you've already done, how you've set her free, and how you're working in her and Glenn. And Lord, we just bless the work of your hands. We say more, God, more, and just let her let them be beacons of freedom for their family and for everywhere they go and every, people they touch in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is in AA Monday night at 8 p.m. Send those people if they need to come to AA. Me, I'm there. Hallelujah. I will help them. Hallelujah. Right? Help is on the way. Help is on the way. What's that? Yeah, I, well, you'll, when you see where we're going, you'll, you'll say that again. <laughs> Anyone else? Something to share? Sky. Uh, it's just, um, some of you guys may know this, but... Um, Seven years ago, uh, yesterday would have marked the day that my husband passed away, and we were a mess. And sorry, um, a lot of you guys know some of our story, and how you know a lot of my children had a hard time dealing with it. And yesterday, we got together, me and some of the kids, and. I just got to like hang out with my granddaughter and I was just like we have come so far all because you know God's been good and I mean we still struggle we still you know go through stuff um every day there's challenges but seven years ago I would say that I thought some of us would not have made it like I thought I was scared for my kids and I look now, and I'm like, they're all thriving. They're all, like, you know, um, yeah, they're just, you know. And I have a grandson who was supposed to be born. His due date was yesterday, and he's not born yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm just looking forward to having a new grandson, but just knowing that, you know, even through hardship and through just so much brokenness and so much pain. He's really 
really faithful and he's just awesome and you know yeah there's still you know yeah <laughs> life is never going to be perfect but I see in seven years what God can do and yeah so just wanted to just you know just say that God's been really good so Lord we thank you for seven seven years of your your incredible faithfulness to Sky and all the family, God and the family as it grows. Lord, I thank you that she got up here and uh, gave you glory, Lord, because it's been a long road, a tough road. And Lord, I, I just bless her. I bless the family. Thank you that the word she got the other week at the beginning of the year was destiny. And so we just, we speak that word over her, over each of the children and the grandchildren, Lord. We, and we say you have a destiny. You have a plan. And you will bring things about, Lord, in your time and your way. And, Father, that you will, you will work for their good, for those that love you, Lord, that are called according to your purposes. We just thank you that you're orchestrating, even in the midst of the times when it, we don't see it yet. And, God, thank you that we're seeing it and we're believing it and we're standing together and walking together through this time. Amen. Anyone else? Oh, how do you how do you stop the flow? All right, Jenny, let me let me bring the mic to you. Okay. Anyway, as you all know, that Carol Renwick has passed away, my best friend, and as her son called us, our buddy Weddies, but also had my. My six-foot-three baby brother who lived in Alberta, Billy, who passed away a couple of months ago. So I will never forget either one of them. I love them both dearly. And as Carol's son used to call us Buddy Weddies, and, uh, and yesterday they were at the Riverside cleaning out her room, and they gave me her crop cross that she always wore and it will be with me forever and ever and a few other things that they gave to me too because I never had children of my own my husband and I unfortunately but they were like sons to me her two sons Stephen and Kevin so I don't know when the memorial service is going to be for Carol here but they're going to let us know but I, I miss them dearly and I, I, I miss my brother and and you never forget them. They're still in your heart and your memories. So love to them, all of them. Thank you. So, Father, we just join our hearts together in prayer for Jenny, for comfort, Lord, for peace, for grace. God, I, I thank you that Jenny has one of those bounce-back, optimistic, keep-on-trucking attitudes. And, um, Lord, that you have given her that heart of optimism. Thank you that... Her friends and her loved ones and Carol, they're they're in uh, they're in your presence, Lord. And so we rejoice knowing that and the comfort that that brings. And we just pray you would just draw Jenny closer and closer to your heart, Lord, um, and comfort her when she's missing her her best friend. And Lord, that you would you would always be her best friend, the one that sticks closer than a brother. In Jesus' name. I don't know, there's something else I want to add. That even though my father, my mother, 
my sister, my brother now, and my best friend is gone. They're all looking down at me saying, Jenny, keep on going. Don't sit and mope and be miserable. Do the best you can because we are going to see each other one of these days again. And that is so much the truth. So I love you all. Bye. Bless you, Jen. Bless you. Bless you. That's our Jenny. Anyone else? We got a theme going here. Hank. I'm not going to sing. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that to you people. <laughs> oh, I did before. Yeah, I get talked into that sort of thing. And I'm talking about lotteries. Now, some of you may know I have spoken out against 649 and Lotto Max and all those sort of things very vehemently because it's a total deception. Never more than 50% of the proceeds are actually paid out. In other words, the government keeps the other 50%. So it's what I call a stupidity tax. <laughs> a voluntary. Voluntary. Dis right. Uh, that, but, however, on the other hand, I'm a soft touch for any time that uh, figure skating club or the minor hockey or whatever people come by with lottery tickets because they have maybe, you know, they found some prizes donated or something. Yeah, that's for a good cause. So I'll throw in a few dollars. This week at uh, a meeting of the Canyon Golden Ages, and always at the meetings, they run a f what they call a 50-50. It's not a true 50-50 because they only keep one-third of the proceeds for the upkeep of the, the seniors' hall. And they pay out two prizes of one-third. And, of course, I throw in a couple of dollars at every meeting because it's good for the, the hall because that's a place where Bob and I can go on a Friday and spend some time. And sometimes even win some money, right, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so at this last meeting this week, I threw in, I was late. And so it was when the draw came, I was reminded, there's about 30 people there, uh, do you still want, because I had not gotten any draw tickets yet. I said, sure, I throw in a couple of dollars, got a, a few tickets, and then Eva and Eddie that were doing the draw, the two ladies, they really kept shaking the bucket, and people said, why are you shaking so much? Well, we want to make sure that Hank's tickets are in the bottom. <laughs> and then they drew, and guess what? But there is the sequel, because they drew the first ticket, and it was the last three, the last three numbers were 669. And everybody looked and said, no, no, it's not mine, not mine. So finally I thought, well, if everybody is quiet, what happened to these tickets? So I look, yeah, sure enough, that's, 
Well, that's a great laugh. All your shaking went for nothing because <laughs> I got it. So I got one third of the pot and I also have to do the next draw. So as I go up and collect my money and I draw and I look at it and I straight away said to the two ladies, this one is not valid. <laughs> Why? I said, well, I would hate literally draw my own number again. <laughs> oh, did you? I said, yeah, and it's one I don't want to recognize. And they looked at it. Now, I know one lady goes to the United Church and the other one I don't think goes to church, but it is the one that I don't think goes to any church, looked at it and said, that's satanic. It was 666. And so they said, Agreed. You don't want it? I said, no way do I want that number. They threw it out. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bless the Lord. We're gonna, I, I just want to pull some themes out of all the things that have been said this morning. And, uh, and uh, Hank, there was a plan in all of that, you know, and the lady shaking couldn't stop what was going to happen there. There was, there was something going on there. Um. Who is the father of our, of our faith, of the Christian faith, of the Jewish faith? Who's the father of faith in the scripture? Abraham. Abraham. Was Abraham a perfect guy? Anybody remember some of the imperfect things he did? Yeah, his, he was married to his half-sister. And, um, and then when they went into a foreign land, um, she was a very beautiful woman, and they, he thought they might kill him to get his wife. So they said, do me this favor, hon, call me your brother so that they'll just give me money for you and uh, it won't kill me when they take you. Kind of a, you know, a thing you, would, you don't want to put on your resume. <coughs> Father of our faith. <coughs> so God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God made a covenant with Abraham and said he would bless all the peoples of the earth through him and said he would have a son of promise. Problem was they got to be 100 and, and she got to be 90 years old and there were still no kids. And so they, they also tried to help God out, right, and um, gave Abraham a slave woman as his wife and produced Ishmael. So not a lot of perfection going on in that story yet. God, yet God, yet God. God is the author of my story. God is the author of your story. No matter where you are in that journey, God is the author of the story. God is a God who gives us free will. So we make choices. God, with all his heart, shepherds us to make good choices that bring us life and not death and even when we slip as his children as his sheep he's working circumstances to bring about good in the uh, Romans eight twenty eight, we all know all things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose let me just read it to you from the passion translation so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good 
into our lives. For we all are his lovers, those who are in Christ, who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. It's his plan. It's his plan. It's his story. History is, you know, if you divide the word history, his story. All of history is the story of the plan of God being worked out across nations and individuals. So Father Abraham is the father of our faith, not a perfect guy. And then he has finally the son of promise, Isaac. God then asks him eventually to sacrifice that boy the son of promise, the son through whom the covenant would be passed. And of course, at the last minute, the, the ram is substituted and it's a picture of Jesus Christ coming and saving us from our sin, being the sacrifice that we could never be. And, and that that son, God did not spare his son, but gave him so that all who believe in him would not die, would not have to pay for the sin we all have. Thank you, Adam, but I have enough of my own, right? We all have a sin nature. And that we, we can believe and, and be brought into his kingdom. Uh, Jacob, <clears throat> did Jacob have a few problems? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Jacob had a few problems. Jacob is called a trickster. And he tricks his brother Esau into giving up his inheritance his inheritance and uh, Esau wants to kill him Jacob has to flee there's a whole bunch of trickery that goes on uh, and Jacob when he goes to marry his father-in-law switches girls on him on his wedding night whoa you're talking about major dysfunctional families here <laughs> it's like he wakes up who are you you're not the girl I paid for uh, so lots going on Jacob it has the original dream of the stairway to heaven you old rock and rollers that's in the bible jesus uh the stairway to heaven jacob has a dream and sees angels descending between heaven and earth and that's the stairway to heaven and it would so jacob even in all their imperfect states god was speaking to them and uh saying he was going to bring about his plan he only has imperfect folks to work with i don't know if you noticed there are no perfect people in the world that's why Christ came and came as a man didn't come as a as God on earth in like an uh, you know an Adonis sort of Greek God formula he came as a man he came as a baby and said you guys are worth dying for you guys are worth my living and experiencing everything for and dying for and it's it's in the plan of God uh, so we we have this story uh, Abraham, who, who would you think is the most written about character in the, in the Old Testament? Who has the most written about him as a biograph of his life story? Could be, yeah, David would be a candidate. Teresa's like, I know. <laughs> Moses is, yeah, Abraham is, is they're, all, they're all good stories, good, good choices. Uh, Abraham actually has 12 Old Testament books that are mainly about him and then uh, a couple of really significant chapters in the New Testament when Paul is explaining about going from law to grace. Uh, Isaac has three chapters. in. Uh, they're all in Genesis. Jacob has nine. And guess how many Joseph has? 13 from chapter 37 
to 50, skipping 38 is about Tamar, and uh, inclusive of, of 37 and 50. And I was like, I was listening to Daily Audio Bible, uh, you know, in the new year, and we're hearing about the life of Joseph, and I was just like, again, it's a, it's a Sunday school story. It's such a familiar story, but I'm like, God, we need to pay attention to something when there's a biographical story that follows a life like Joseph's. In today's terms, we could say Joseph was trafficked by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was taken to a land where he didn't know the language or the culture and worked as a slave in the household of a pretty well-to-do officer in Egypt. Is falsely accused of rape. Is imprisoned for it. And all the background of all of this is Joseph had a dream from God. And he wasn't super tactful. And he went and told his 11 big brothers about his dream and said, I will be an important person. The sun and the moon and the stars will bow to me. It's part of the dream. Genesis 37. Um, if you don't know the story, it's, it's, it's a long story, so I'm not going to read the whole story because I think most of us are familiar enough with it. But Joseph had a dream from the Lord. And it didn't look like that was happening. And I just, you know, the stories we're hearing, even the testimonies we've heard this morning of things that don't look like anything good is happening, that anything good is coming out of it. But I think God is pretty intentional about telling so many details about this, the life of this young man. And for a guy that had a pretty broken family, right, pretty, pretty dysfunctional family, he leads, he makes remarkable choices, for a 17-year-old till then his story goes through all his hardships till he's 30. He makes remarkable choices. So here's, here's Joseph. And maybe we will just read some of um, Genesis 37 just because it's, it's too good. Not, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. We just, we don't want it to become familiar. We want it to be fresh. God's doing a new thing, and he's bringing truth out of his, his word and out of even familiar passages. So I'm reading in the NASB, which is a big switch from the Passion. <clears throat> uh, chapter 37. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan, and there were these are the records of the generations of Jacob, Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pastoring the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. So today we have serial marriage. You can marry one and then marry another. I have an uncle that had five. Um, But in those days, it was okay to have, like in some cultures, you could have uh, all your wives at once. So talk about a dysfunctional family. He's got four wives at once. So the guy has all these half-brothers. And Joseph brought back a bad report about the brothers to his father. 
Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all the other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. We, we usually say a coat of many colors. I was teasing Tony this morning because she came in in this multicolored shirt, and I'm like, you've got on the coat of many colors. Um, this is a, so favoritism, so it's a, that's never going to go well, right? Especially when the whole family knows that someone is favored. And this is actually a tunic, an outer garment that meant it had long sleeves and it went down past his ankles. It's nothing you can work in. In other words, it was a princely robe. So uh, Jacob declares over Joseph, this is the kid I really love. This is the kid of inheritance. It looked like he was going to break firstborn inheritance laws and favor Joseph because he was the firstborn of Rachel, his favorite wife. So this is a setup for disaster, right? You're going, you're a family counselor. You're going, this will not go well. Let's just interject at this point. So his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all of the brothers. So they aided him. They could not speak to him on friendly terms. These are the same guys. These are the sons of Israel. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, just to keep this perspective of, of who God has to work with, right? And he's, he, those boys, they had a sister named Dinah. Do you remember this story? Dinah goes to visit some girls in another village. The, the prince of the village rapes Dinah. And Jacob says, cool it, lads. Don't make a mess for me here. And the lads go and say, well, we'll let you marry our sister if you're all circumcised. So they, they talk them into, they say, well, we'll get these people's wealth. Let's be circumcised like them. And so after all the men of the village are circumcised, the sons of Jacob go in and massacre them and massacre everybody and take all their goods. These are bad dudes. This is like the biker gang of Israel. This is, this. I don't know, it's a story that we just kind of go over it and go, oh yeah, that happened. Come on, these are people who were capable of killing women and children. These are bad, this is, this, there's, there's something disconnected here. And these are Jacob's brothers, so you don't want to get that, you know, them on your bad side. But Joseph, I think, was a little naive. So Joseph's brothers hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. So Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And they said, please, he said, please listen to the dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. And they're like, you are so dead, but they mean it. They, like, totally mean it. Interesting that when we know the rest of the story, it's sheaves of grain, right? It's sheaves of grain, because this is going to be a story of salvation of people who are going to starve unless somebody intervenes. Sheaves. Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Right. Are you really going to rule over us? And they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Now he had still another dream. And he related it to his brothers and said, Lo, he probably didn't say lo, I'm guessing in Hebrew, there's whatever the equivalent of lo is, right? Look, guys, I had another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Joe, keep your lip buttoned. Don't tell the brothers. But he told them, So he related it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, What's this dream you've had? 
Shall I and your mother and brothers actually come and bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the sayings in mind, kind of like Mary and all the things that happened with the birth of Christ. She pondered these things in her heart. So um, then his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flocks in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And he said, I will go. So obedient kid. Then he said to him, go and take, see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent them from the valley of Hebron to, and he came to Shechem. And a man, man found Joseph and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man said, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing their flocks. So the man leads him um, to where they're in, in Dothan. Verse 18, when they saw from a distance Joseph, um, before he got to the, to camp, the before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. So, I mean, we all probably have had siblings that we didn't really like all the time, and we probably had little fights, and um, we, we were hopefully disciplined by our parents and, you know, said things we probably shouldn't have said, but this is 11 men agreeing together to kill their youngest brother. That is, that's next level. Here comes the dreamer. So now then, let us come and kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him, and let us see what will become of his dreams. They're sick and tired of the dreams. But Reuben heard this, and he rescued him out of their hands and said, let's not take his life. Reuben, by the way, is the guy that slept with his stepmom. This is a sordid story. It's a sordid story, like daytime TV has nothing on this. It's a, messy, it's a messy situation. So Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into a pit that's in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he, might, that he was going to go and rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the multicolored coat that was on him, and they took him and they threw him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. When I was listening to this on Daily Audio Bible, um, and then it, it gets to the point where Joseph is thrown into prison, to jump ahead a bit in the story, and every point of difficulty and change in Joseph's life, the Bible makes a very big point of changing his garment. So the garment that was his identity gets stripped off him. We're talking about identity in the, in the FISH acronym, that we would know who we are in Christ, that we would know it's not what we do, it's not who we are, who we're married to, it's not what we drive, it's, it's not our position, it's not you know, how successful our children are, it's nothing. It's Jesus and what he's done. Jesus is the measuring stick. We don't register on that measuring stick. Jesus is the measuring stick. So here's Joseph, whose whole identity, because you can see him coming. I actually have a very cool coat that somebody gave me that's like, it looks like a, my kids say it looks like a Russian babushka, but it's like 
black with all this cool embroidery on it, and it's a coat of favor. I wear it when I'm conscious of walking or wanting to walk in favor because people just go, that's such a cool coat. And favor is part of this story. But the coat that identified who Joseph was is stripped from him, and he's in a dry well. This is kind of like a Jonah belly of the fish moment, right? But Joseph hasn't done anything wrong other than being a little cocky, maybe a little arrogant, but God gave him those dreams. Have you ever felt like you're being punished for something you didn't do? That's like unanimous. (laughs) And the only thing we have at that point is our response. You know, when I think of optimistic people, I tell you what, I think of Kevin Chisholm and I think of Jenny. There's people who are just naturally cup half full people. Something changed in the sound. Is that better? Or? Oh, thank you, hon. Because sometimes I whisper and Hank says, I can't hear you when you whisper, Sue. Hank. Thank you, Hank. I'll try not to whisper. Usually I'm trying not to yell. So, But trying not to whisper, I forget, right? So, so Joseph is stripped of this tunic. What happens next to that tunic? Do you remember the story? Oh, <laughs> Tell me this isn't a type of in shadow of Jesus. The robe is dipped in blood. Christ comes, Revelation says, in a robe dipped in blood. In a robe dipped in blood. There's so much imagery, so much layering in the scripture. So there's Joe in the pit. And Reuben says, let's, let's not kill him. But Reuben somehow isn't present. They actually sit down and have a meal with their kid brother in a pit. This is hard-heartedness. Like, you think your family's bad? I'm, I'm thinking this one might be worse. And then along come some Ishmaelite traders, and being entrepreneurial types, they said, let's get some cash for the kid. Why kill him? We could still take the robe, dip it in goat's blood, and give it to our dad. And how heartless was that? That they didn't care that their dad was losing their, his favorite child. And so they they sell Joseph, uh, verse 27, come let us sell him and we won't lay hands on him for he is our brother, our own flesh. Oh, you're so generous, guys. Glad you came to that conclusion. Why? Because God has a plan. Because God has a plan. And God is working good even out of this evil. And so he sold for 20 shekels of silver and Reuben goes back, verse 29, And Joseph's not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He actually did have compassion on Joseph. The boy's not there. What will I do? So they took Joseph's tunic, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the tunic in blood. And they sent the tunic uh, back to his father and said, We found this. Please examine it and see whether it's your son's tunic. Now they're lying to cover their crime. And uh, Jacob examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. 
And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. And so his father wept for him. The word wept is going to be a very predominant word in this, in this story. Jo- it says Joseph wept eight times in the, his life story. There's a lot of weeping going on. And at this point, Jacob has the opportunity to make a choice. Has Jacob been wronged? Oh, yeah. His, his favorite son has been, and he, he thinks, killed by wild beasts, taken from him in his prime. He's 17 years old. And I know some of us, some amongst you, have lost children and babies. And you're just like, how is that right? And we have a choice Jacob at this point has a choice to respond. And, you know, as others in the Old Testament would say, he will not come back to me, but I will go to him. That would have been sort of the godly response. But Jacob chooses the way of bitterness. And we have this choice. We have the choice to stay in our pain and sorrow. And pain and sorrow is... The grieving process is absolutely necessary and healthy. To put it off is so devastating. And it will come out in other ways. It usually comes out in anger. You have to grieve. But there is a choice in every one of our difficult circumstances of how we respond. And that do we really believe in the ugly times, in the times when we just feel like we've been stripped bare stripped of our identity, stripped of hope, stripped of the future. Your progeny was your future. He's got all these other sons, but he's like, that was a kid I really was kind of invested in. <laughs> and he's like, God has taken that. And at this point, all we have is our response. I know so many people right now who are in such difficult places. Good people, wonderful people who are in absolutely tough places, places they do not want to be, places that I have nicknamed places not of my choosing. I don't want to be there. But the only thing I have is my response. How am I going to respond? Am I going to believe God is going to work for good? Because guess what? God is is not a player in my story. I'm a player in God's story. This is huge. If I only need Jesus to make my dream come true, Joseph had big dreams. They were from God. If Jesus is the means for me to reach my dream, and they could be good dreams. I got a dream of revival. Anybody else? Jesus revolution. I got big dreams and I think they're God dreams. But if Jesus is only the means for me to get my dream, I got an idol in my life. And if God has a dream and we're the players to make God's dream happen. So if I'm too busy to get into God's dream, I'm going to miss out on me and what God has for me. But God's going to go, I wanted you to be part of my dream. 
or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm whatever, I'm, I'm, whatever, busy comes to mind in this culture, in this time. I, I, I just kind of look at like how everybody's so busy. We're all busy, right? But don't miss out because this life is for a very brief time. But God has a dream and God wants to do something. And Joseph received the dream. I think he believed the dream. And he responds absolutely impeccably in each of these situations. You never hear, like as you go through the story of Jacob, at the end when, um, and this could be a three-part series, um, when Jacob, the old man, has come down to Goshen and he's presented to Pharaoh, he says this, my years, he's like 110 or 117 at the time, and he says to Pharaoh, my years have been few and difficult. I'm like, get off your bad self, Jacob. Come on, you've had an amazing life, and God has rescued you. God had a dream to save Israel, to save the people of God. And he needed somebody to be able to speak to a Pharaoh and who was going to have audience with a king? Nobody in, the, in Abraham's family. How would he do that? And God gave Pharaoh dreams because he wanted to reveal himself to a whole nation. Egypt figures in greatly throughout the scripture. In the, in the Old Testament prophecy of end times, Egypt figures in. And God has a plan to save a whole nation, several nations, from famine and to build faith and to reveal himself. And he, and he looks and he says, I'm going to give this kid a dream and then I'm going to prepare him to be able to walk in that dream, to walk it out, because he wasn't fit for the size of the dream. The bigger the dream, the longer the preparation. Nobody likes to hear that. So what if when I'm in the midst of those dark, dry wells, when I get, you know, and in everywhere Joseph went, he succeeds, right? So he sold, he sold on a slave block. There's Jacob refusing to be comforted. I skip chapter 38, and it says in chapter 39, takes the story up again. Joseph was bought by an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, captain of the bodyguard, which is going to play in, in, interest, in an interesting way later because he ends up in the prison of who? The captain of the bodyguard. So Pharaoh, I think, knew his wife was lying, or Potiphar knew his wife was lying. By the way, the, the word for an officer in the Egyptian army is eunuch. So that might give us a little insight into why his wife went after Joseph. If that wasn't always the case, but it often was to show their dedication to the king. So Joseph is taken down to Egypt, bought by Potiphar, and it says in 39.2, the Lord was with Joseph. I just think that's so annoying, <laughs> right? It's just like, what? You know, the first, when you read it and you go, oh, what, Lord? Does it look like you're with Joseph? The truth of the word is, God is super with Joseph in the midst of these trying times. He's young. He's, he's apparently handsome. The Bible doesn't talk, it's like only David and Moses as a baby 
that says that it matters that someone's handsome. It mattered that, that um, we know he's handsome because Potiphar's wife is coming after him. And it says he becomes, the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, for about 11 years, if you, if you count back. 11 years in the house of Potiphar. And God says he's an, a successful man. So we kind of have to look at our definition of success, right? Here's a kid who had to learn a new language, new culture, new customs, and essentially is a slave. And God says, he's a successful man. In Isaiah, there's a, there's a, a series of, of um, prophetic, or uh, no, maybe I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of Isaiah 42, but I think it, there's a, the suffering servant talking about how Jesus will be a servant and Joseph, for the very formative years of his life, is literally a servant. He's a slave. And Jesus says when his disciples, John and, and um, help me here, John and his brother, James, sorry, I was just like blanking on that. Their mother comes to Jesus and says, well, can you make my two sons? sit at your right hand and your left hand and Jesus is like yeah not mine to say but if you want to be great in God's kingdom learn to be a servant of all when I first came to this church Bruce would say yeah you know sometimes we have people that come and they they want to do this and they want to do that and Bruce says yeah somebody needs to clean the toilets (laughs) right and then we see if they stick around right do the, do the least thing. Thank you, Terry Joe. <laughs> right? Learn to be a servant of all. And that's what the kingdom is about. So Joseph becomes successful. And the Lord caused all that he did to prosper, but he also caused all that Potiphar did to prosper. Do you think that maybe that where Suzanne works, there's some prosperity going on because of her presence there? I do. Wherever we are. There is, you are bringing the blessing of God on your life and you're serving people and you're bringing the kingdom. And again, it's our response. Am I going to say yes? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes to revival. Yes to being, you know, the worship leader. Yes to, yes to all these things that we, we love but are we saying yes to the day-to-day of being the servant and trusting God? The interesting thing with Joseph's life is there's no miraculous pregnancies. There's, there's, there's nothing absolutely miraculous other than God gives him the ability to interpret dreams. He makes him a dreamer and then he makes him an interpreter of dreams. But the supernatural is not really happening. He's actually got the gift of administration. How exciting is that, right? God bless all our administrators, Lorraine, Gordon, come on, Janice. We got some amazing administrators, right? Um, So the faithfulness of a steadfast life, a steadfast life that trusts God and says, I believe you're bringing good even out of this. So it says Joseph found favor in the sight of Potiphar, and uh, Potiphar was blessed. 
And, and then we have, of course, the, the, the tale of Potiphar's wife coming out after Joseph day after day, and he was there 11 years, so I don't know when it started. Um, and sometimes we think when we're in a time of temptation that we're the only one that's met this temptation. It's pretty much nothing new under the sun. Sometimes we're waiting for a better situation to be blessed by God. But God wants to bless us in the midst of our imperfect situations so that he gets glory. You know, Sean and Teresa came in this morning and they're like, Sean's like, I haven't slept. I said, yeah, I didn't get a lot of sleep either. And there's a lot of us that are sort of tired. And I said, but this must be a time when we're going to see God come in and be strong when we're weak, when we're feeling like we didn't have a lot to give, but that God will come, come through and show us. Satan wants us to think that our temptations are unique, that no one else understands what we're going through. Sometimes we're hesitant to share with one another. Be, um, we're <laughs> transparent here. When we were in Africa, we were in the capital once, and uh, some friends and I got all dressed up, and we were in a bakery in town, which was, it's a very, very poor country. And there was um, a family, a Lebanese family, that had set up a restaurant, and this is a married man, and he, he came after me. And uh, I can't say that wasn't flattering. And it's like, like, it's just this occasion that I'm going to tell you because I, because I handled it correctly. Not to my credit. It's a really handsome Lebanese guy. And he's coming after me. And so I sort of made trips to town more often. That's not, that's not holy. That's not godly because I was hoping I would see him and run into him. And I did several times. And finally I just said to a British girlfriend of mine, I said, I just have to expose this to the light. I said, I'm on the verge of committing adultery here. And so I want to tell somebody. I don't think Joseph had anybody to tell. But Joseph did another godly thing. He took him out of the, himself out of the situation. That's what Proverbs says. Flee from, the, flee from temptation. Flee from the adulterous woman. And there, we, sometimes we handle it well and sometimes we don't. And it's what our heart is on the other side of that. And God says, I can fix this. I can help. There's consequences, but we can walk through together. Everyone has been tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation that has overtaken us except which is common amongst all people. Jesus was tempted in all ways, like as we are, but without sin. It's one of the reasons he came, so he could be our high priest, because the high priests had to make atonement for themselves first because they knew what sin was like and they had hearts of compassion for the people. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin, so he could be the sacrifice for that sin. I think what Teresa said today was, it's a response of our heart, always. It's a response of our heart to say, I choose not to be bitter. I have the right, quote unquote, to be bitter, but I choose to believe that good is coming. Uncle Steve says, if it's not good yet, it's not the end of the story. Uh, Spurgeon said, when I thought that God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found out God was so kind and so loving and so overwhelmingly compassionate, I found it difficult to sin. And I think that's part of, part of, um, part of this lesson. So Joseph is uh, 
probably going to make this more than one thing because there's so much in here. Um, but Joseph says no to Potiphar's wife. And what does Potiphar's wife use as her evidence? His tunic. Hmm. We got a theme here. Joseph leaves behind his tunic, basically flees in his undergarments. And, and she sits there and she says, she doesn't call him by his name. Uh, and it says um, five times this phrase, he left his garment. And he left his garment. And he left his garment five times in a very short passage. Uh, he left his garment. So I think God wants us to see something. So now Joseph has another identity. He's a successful administrator of an officer. And Joseph has an impeccable response here because he says to Potiphar's wife, he says, how then could I do this great evil? This is uh, 39 verse 9. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? But she spoke to Joseph day after day and she didn't listen. he didn't listen to her and would not be with her. He resists the devil. And the devil flees from him, as James says in the New Testament, and uh, doesn't yield to temptation. And she uses the garment then to, uh, to in- indict him. So she keeps the garment beside her, and when Potiphar comes home, she says, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us, who's got to be like a member of the household after 11 years, right? Um, came in to make sport of me, and as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garments beside me and fled outside. When his masters heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. At this point, I'm sort of asking myself, is his anger burning because the penalty for this is death? And he's really sad he's going to lose his best administrator. (laughs) This guy runs everything in his household. So maybe he's angry because... Joseph is uh, not going to be available to him anymore. Or is he angry because of husband's jealousy, which would be the normal response. 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And so Joseph starts in to his time in jail, in prison, for nine years. I don't know about you, but I'd be feeling a bit like maybe God had abandoned me at this point. It's like, I'm doing everything right, Lord, that I know to do. And he's got the stories from Abraham, from Isaac, from Jacob. They're all still alive. And he would have heard those stories. It's an oral culture. This wasn't written down until the time of Moses. And he's heard the stories, and it's gone to his heart. It's changed who he is. But he is in a place of absolute and utter desperation. And it says, uh, the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So I think we're going to close there because some of you look a little sleepy. (laughs) Maybe you were up late like I was last night. I think the the main thing is that we, God is sovereign. And if we choose to respond to our situations with bitterness and unforgiveness and anger, then God's plan kind of stalls out in us right there. 
Not that he can't arrange things. And he, look at Jonah. He, he can. <laughs> but he wants our hearts to be soft and to be supple and for our characters to be like him. You know, God wants us to be able to carry the weight of his dream. And he's preparing us to have the integrity and the character to walk in that. That he can trust us with his dream. So when your dream looks like it's on hold or gone sideways or sitting collecting dust on the shelf, when it looks like your family is not going the way you would hope it went, take courage. Trust in God. Believe that, that he is working out his purposes and that the only thing that I can steward is my response and that I steward my response and say, God, do what you want to do. You know better than I do. You're God. I'm not. Amen? Let's pray. So Jesus, um, it's easy to say. It's easy to say in a setting like this that um, we choose you. We want to go your way. I just, uh, Lord, I thank you for the story of the life of Joseph. Seem, you know, it's so familiar to us, we kind of miss what that would be like that many years Um, And he just jumps in and does the best he can do in that situation, not knowing when it will end or if it will end any differently than what it is now. And Lord, I don't know if he just had really incredible faith that the dreams that you gave him would come true. It, It sort of like later says he remembers his dreams as if he'd forgotten them. But Lord, we, I want to respond like that. I want, I don't want to be a complainer. I don't want to be a cynic. I don't want to be looking at imperfect people around me going, I don't get how you're going to do this. This is a motley crew, as Bruce likes to say, we're a motley crew. I'm like, uh, uh, that's not a problem for you. That's, that's all you have to work with is us. And, um, and that, that really, it's our hearts that you're after. And, and our response to just keep coming back and saying, it's up to God. I just keep saying yes to his dream. So, Lord, I, I just say yes to your dream. And if, if you want to do that in your own heart, to say yes to God's dream in your life, in your family's life, in the life of this church, in the life of the places you live, to say yes to the dream of God and to be used of him for his glory. Lord, set us free from ourselves. <laughs> set us free from our little worlds that we get so locked into that we don't see your dream, your heart. Set us free from that so we can receive the big picture and be part of the big plan in a, in a, in a way that brings glory to you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You guys want-